So I'm a father of one. I gotta find a babysitter. I found care.com and I was blown away. Through the platform, I was able to find local and experienced candidates along with their reviews and rates, which were way more affordable than I anticipated. Care.com really put me at ease knowing that they were all required to go through a background check. If you're like me and you need to find someone reliable for your childcare necessities, check out care.com. Find the ideal sitters for your childcare needs. I'm Kim Grounds of Dogman.com with Chris Vetter, Scott Eklund. Pac-12 championship football game today with the broadcast starting at 5 o'clock, probably kick off around 5.10 or shortly thereafter. I'm actually down in Vegas looking out my room at T-Mobile Arena and Regent. Is it Allegiant Field? Is that what it is? Allegiant, yeah, like the airline. Allegiant Field, it's all black over there, black and silver. It's the Raiders color. But, uh, you know, uh, first time Washington in this championship game for a few years. The last one was when Byron Murphy uh, intercepted the pass. For That well, was the only score against Utah back then, wasn't it? That was the only touchdown. Only game. touchdown, yeah. That was the only touchdown yeah. for either team. Yeah, so a little bit different having it here in Vegas as opposed to Santa Clara, which is basically in the middle of uh, – it would be the equivalent of having it next to Microsoft in Redmond. But, uh, you know, a lot of stuff has been going on since the previous game. Two teams, obviously, on different tra- trajectories, even though Washington and Oregon have both won both of those games. But they've both been playing differently since that game, Chris. Yeah, it definitely feels like a, a tale of two teams going in kind of different directions. But the irony is neither team has lost since then. So it's kind of hard to think of it that way where – you know, both teams are undefeated since that game, yet clearly the national perception, at least, not the Northwest perception per se, but the national perception is that Oregon's become this juggernaut that's crushing people by an average of 25 points a game and Washington's barely squeaking by and, and winning games by an average, I think, of the last eight games by six points a game, I think, something around there. And I think the last eight games within 10 points, the seven of those eight games within uh, a touchdown. So it's it's one of those games where it just feels like Washington has found different ways to win, whereas Oregon has literally just dominated from the start and has not allowed the opposition to get back into games to try to find a way to win. So it's it's, it's definitely going to be a huge contrast in styles. And, and Scott, what I find kind of interesting is uh, not just last year and this year as well with Oregon and Coach Lanning, you know, a lot of criticism towards him for taking a lot of risks on fourth downs that just came back to bite him in the butt. And you want to think that he's learned from that, but they haven't really been in a position where it could bite him in the butt because they just haven't had any games that have been close. You know, so the question is if, you know, there's some fourth downs today, what's he going to do? Yes. I mean, basically since the loss to Washington on October 14th, they've had two games that were within 14 points. And that was the Washington State game, which was the next week, 38-24. And then the USC game, um, which was a couple weeks ago, 36-27. Everything else has just been absolute blowout manhandling by them. And probably the most impressive win was Utah, 35-16. They win that – or I'm sorry, 35-6. They win that game. So, um, And that was on the road. So, you know, I mean – 
Oregon has been impressive, but they they haven't had a close game. Whereas Washington, you know, the the only close game for Oregon has been 36-33. And then you could say the Texas Tech game, 38-30, that they won on the road down there. But, I mean, everything else has been basically blowout city. And, you know, for Washington, they've been in these close games and they – you know, they've figured out ways to win. And you can say that that might give them a little bit of a mental edge if things are close later in the game. But what, as far as Dan Lanning making those decisions on fourth down, you know, he's going to keep doing it. That's just that's who he is. I think it's his DNA. The first year, I thought maybe he just didn't understand, you know, exactly where things were. And he was kind of testing out who he was going to be as a coach. But he's doing the same thing this year. It's works for him most of the time, but against really good teams like Washington, it hasn't. Yeah, that's why it's going to be interesting to, in, tonight if there's a key situation on their own side of the field, if there's a fourth down and short, if they actually go for it. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on. And Chris, when you take a look at the other side with University of Washington, you know, impressive win against uh, Oregon and then uh, USC, who I think was a totally different team then. I thought Washington was impressive against USC, but since then, USC, the offense has kind of struggled. I don't know if struggled is the right word, but it's definitely not the same offense as we've seen before those games? Well, there's certainly some things that have come into play since those games. And a lot of people nationally are talking about Michael Penix being hurt or not being right. To me, he's not right. I think there's a big difference between being injured and not being right, because if he was actually injured, he wouldn't be available to us every week. And he's been available post game. He's been available uh, during the week when we've requested him to talk. He's been fantastic on that. So to me, that's that's not a thing where he's like physically, you know, wrong to me, because to me, if anything, like you look at his arm strength and, and everything else, guys. And I think Scott and I, you've, we've talked about it during the games. If anything, he's been just throwing fastballs. I mean, his arm strength is phenomenal. It's, there's nothing wrong with his arm. If anything, it's his anticipation, maybe second guessing himself in the pocket, trying to find guys. He feels like maybe he's got to throw it a little harder to find a tighter window because he's not necessarily finding those guys early in their routes. So it, there's there's a lot of things going on here. And then you can't discount, guys, the fact that, you know, not having Jalen McMillan to be able to, to kind of do things that he does in the middle from the slot. Giles Jackson with his redshirt situation has certainly, I think, impacted things a little bit. But not having that 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 cohesive group and then Jalen Polk kind of disappearing the last couple of games has been a real mystery. I, I don't know exactly what's going on with Jalen, but they got to get him right today for sure. He's got to be a big factor because he had over 100 yards receiving uh, against Oregon the last time they played. So there's a number of things that you can look at to kind of yeah. s- explain why Washington maybe hasn't been as good as they were, you know, even going back to what you were talking about, Kim, with the USC game. Yeah, and a couple of things have changed. You know, uh, you know, Julius Bulow was out for a couple of games, and I think that impacted the running game. When he returned, the running game seemed to pick up. Um, a lot of people lauding um, Dylan Johnson. I think Dylan Johnson has been okay. He had one fantastic game, but um, what did he have, 22 carries for 90 yards or something like that last week? So um, it'd be nice to get Dylan um, Johnson off off the snide, but uh, yeah, I mean, Washington's offense has changed a little bit where they were just bound to determine to get the run game going and they haven't been able to, but Chris, but they've been able to get that going a little bit. Well, to defend Dylan Johnson a little bit, you, you mentioned his statistics, Kim. Well, basically he was doing that on one healthy leg. Um, yeah. you know, he, he's been banged up. He's, you know, his foot's been in a boot the last couple of weeks. 
Uh, it'll be very interesting tonight to see what he can do and what Washington in general can get out of their run game. Cause I think the fact that he got his first hundred yard game of the season against Oregon the first time really factored into the ability for Michael Penix to keep things opened up for him to throw four touchdowns, most of them deep and for them to kind of be able to do what they do and do it really well and allow Ryan Grubb to kind of keep that whole play call sheet open and available and that, like I said, I think that has a lot to do with Dylan Johnson being able to move move the chains a little bit. But I think, Kim, they've got to get as much out of some of these other guys, like Tybal Rogers needs to step up again. I think that uh, Will Nixon has, has got to be a factor a little bit. And then who knows what they can get out of guys like Sam Adams or even Richard Newton uh, tonight. You know, these are kind of last stands for some of these guys in, in terms of uh, their availability and what they can provide for Washington. So there's guys they can go to, but you're right. They, they've got to get right a little bit in that run game to provide the impetus to allow things to open up and give Michael Penix the time to be able to throw and throw deep because that's been their calling card all season. And, Scott, when you take a look at this Oregon offense, they've got weapons all across the board. They've got weapons at running back, at wide receiver, at tight end. They've got a really good offensive line. It's a really good offense. Yeah, I mean, choose your poison. Tez Johnson, Troy Franklin. Bucky Irvin, Jordan James, uh, you know, the, you know, uh, Bo Nix. I mean, Bo Nix is pro- probably one of the two favorites for the Heisman. I mean, if, if we're really looking at it, I mean, he's leading the country in passing. His uh, completion percentage is ridiculous. He's putting up huge numbers. He's not running as much as I think we got used to, la- especially last year. He's he's more of the drop back, um, move around if I need to, and then uh, let my guys down get open down the field. And so that's where Washington's pass rush is really going to come in is going to be really important. Is I mean it's it's always important in the in the um, pass defense is the pass rush because the quicker you get to the quarterback, the less time he has to let his receivers develop things downfield. He throws off off timing and all that different stuff and. And that's what they're going to need to do in order to win this game. They're going to have to keep Bo Nix in the pocket, and they're also going to have to get pressure on him and make him move a little bit so that he can't just have this free reign to throw the ball wherever he wants. I mean, you saw that throw last week against Oregon State where he runs to his right, right right before halftime, throws to his right, just rolls to his right, just throws the ball up for grabs. I mean, he knew his guy was going to be the one that makes the play, but he basically throws the ball up for grabs all the way across the field. Troy Franklin makes the catch, the Oregon State defensive back. I have no idea what he's deciding to do, but he just pauses there, freezes, and Troy Franklin goes in for a touchdown, and that basically was the end of that game. And Washington can't let things like that happen. They cannot let big plays happen. I know they probably are because this is an explosive offense, but Washington really needs to uh, eliminate the explosive plays. And Chris, I don't know. I'm sure you saw the stat out there with um, Bo Nix when it comes to depth of passes. Um, He's fifth lowest in the country on uh, passes thrown down downfield. I think it was like seven yards uh, per pass attempt, which means he's just getting the ball out quickly to his playmakers and letting them make the play. So getting a pass, you know, uh, getting a pass rush on him might be difficult. Absolutely. It's going to be difficult. First of all, they have a great offensive line. Josh Connerly, the former Rainier Beach start left tackle is doing a really, really good job for a young offensive lineman. I expect him to only keep getting better and better in that system. 
But yeah, all the weapons that Scott mentioned that Bonix has to play, and if you if he's allowed to just play on platform and just be able to get things on time and literally just keep that offense on schedule and ticking and, and moving the chains, you're never going to beat Oregon that way. You've got to be able to disrupt them somehow, some way, get them behind the sticks so that that way you can start getting more aggressive. And one of the things that's really hurt Oregon, and it's hurt Washington a lot too, it's been a big talking point this year, is penalties. And if and if they can force some penalties and, and get some guys some false starts or some motions or whatever they need to do to get Oregon behind the chains a little bit, that will go a long way towards trying to get those three and outs. Because one of the things Washington wasn't able to do really, really well against Oregon uh, in Seattle was to get them off the field. I think they were 10 of 16 on third down, if I remember correctly. And that's not a good percentage because if Washington allows them to go 10 of 16 on third downs tonight, that's a recipe for losing the game. Yeah, when you talk, you know, about Oregon's offense, too, Chris, I know you love Bucky Irving, and who doesn't? But one of the things with Washington is, you know, their big guy inside, Tuli Latula Gasanoa. He's just been playing spot duty for the past several weeks. It'll be interesting to see, you know, what happens when he gets in the game, because I'm sure you've seen the stats about the running game when he's in as opposed to when he's not in the game. Well, I, I would I would argue that he he didn't play spot duty against Oregon State. I mean he played over 35 snaps. So yeah. I mean he he was in for more than half of the snaps that Oregon State took. But last week he was only in for gosh I think it was one, the, one series basically one, right one, yeah one series one snap that yeah in terms, of, in terms of making an impact yeah. he he basically and I think the Washington coaches even kind of admitted this because it's it's not rocket science. Bottom line is Washington State was going to spread it. They weren't. They don't have really a run game. I mean, it's Nikki mm-hmm. Watson. That's it. And or Cam Ward scrambling around and making plays. So the bottom line is they didn't necessarily need to have him. Voitanufi was playing more in the nose yep. than Tuli did in that game, and you won't see that necessarily uh, against Oregon tonight, unless, like I said, they can get them behind the sticks, get them in some situations, and then you'll see that edge package on third down where you have you know, Tanufi along with ZTF and Trice and maybe and Sakai. Like Sakai would be in there as well. You know, even a guy like Lance Holtzclaw, he comes in one series, gets his sack, you know, maybe they can get him unleashed because he's not a guy that has a lot of tape out there. And so maybe they can get him on a couple surprise uh, series as well. So there are some, some options that Washington can use there, but you're hundred percent right, Kim, in terms of Thule really kind of locks the middle down inside and whether he's with MJ Ale whether he's with uh, Tuatele, whether he's with Jacob Bandis or Javon Parker, they've got to keep him in the game to be able to kind of anchor and take up multiple yeah. blockers so that some some the, the inside guys can really suck in and get to Bucky Irving at the line of scrimmage because he's hard to bring down anyways, but you've got to get a you've got to get a hand on him early and try to slow him down a little bit so the pursuit can clean up. And Scott, one of the other factors that'll play key that we'll be taking a look at during the warmups is the safety position. Asa Turner's been out for a while. Fab, uh, Cameron Fabi Kulanen replaced him. Cam Fab has been in and out and not been healthy. And they, Vince Nunley, we're not sure what happened to him. I'm not sure if he's still not with the team or see if he's going to be back with the team on uh, tonight. And then, you know, they had Mikel Esteen, you know, played quite a bit against Washington State. So, and just FYI, 
FYI, when we were at a practice the last couple of days, you know, we're not watching practice, but we're watching guys come off the field. You know, Cameron Fabi Kulana definitely came off the field. He looked okay. And I was kind of surprised to see Asa Turner uh, suited up. He's still got a big club on his hand, but Asa Turner is actually suited up. Scott, tell me a little bit about that safety position and what we can expect there. Uh, well, I mean, I, to me, it, it just seems like, you know, it's, it's a patchwork right now. And, and Mikel Esteen, you know, he just always seems to be in the right place at the right time because he got, he gets that pick against Washington state. That was a key play for, for the Husky defense. And, um, you know, he's playing as he's gotten more experience, he's playing better. I mean, we, we all saw what Cameron Fabi Kulana looked like in the spot duty that he got for a couple of years in 2021, 2022, he didn't look that much better, but this year he's been kind of a glue guy for Washington in that secondary. And when he went out, the, the defense really missed him. And I think Michaela Steen can be that guy. The more reps you get, it's, it's kind of weird how that works that the more reps you get, the more, the better you play. So, and they're thin in that group. And, you know, they've got um, Tristan Dunn who can play some safety. They've got Michelle Powell who can rotate back and play some, some safety as well. But Washington doesn't want to do that because those guys are really good in the role that they, that they, that they're usually playing. And so um, I think that Washington really would like to figure out a way to get Asa Turner, get Cameron, Fabi Kulanen back. I, you know, like you said, Kim, we don't know if uh, Vince Nunley's even with the program anymore, but, uh, whatever it is, um, you know, it'd be great to have all those guys available and, and be able to throw them out there. It doesn't sound like that's going to be the case, uh, you know, or at least they're not going to be available for full duty like what like, you know, you'd like them to be. But, um, you know, Washington is nobody cares. Nobody's sad, um, you know, and Washington needs to figure it out. I think Dominique Hampton has played uh, pretty darn well this year uh, in the role that he's that he plays, but he's not great in coverage. He's OK. He's not great in coverage, and when when teams have a chance to get him singled up or or uh, mismatched against a you know slot receiver or whatever, they're going to take advantage of it. So Washington has to be really sound in the way they communicate on that back end, and they also need to be sound in the way that they're tackling these guys in the open field because it isn't just that they can make big plays down the field on a throw and then a guy doesn't make you miss you know, a lot of these guys are making guys miss or they're just they're just breaking tackles. And Washington can't have that today. And Chris, Jabbar Muhammad started off the year and was playing at a real high level. But then a couple of games where they were trying to mismatch Jabbar Muhammad against those big wide receivers where he struggled with the size and the physicality of some of those wide receivers. And then uh, again, the last three, four weeks, he's uh, been playing at an all conference level. On the other side, Elijah Jackson seems to be either hit or miss. He's just been real inconsistent. He has been a little bit, but Jabbar, I mean, I think he showed against Oregon State that if he's playing guys of similar size or just a slightly bigger, that he excels. And that Oregon State game, he was the player of the game for me on defense by far. It wasn't even close. Yeah. And then and then during the Apple Cup, it was a little bit more hit and miss. But I think, you know, I think he showed in the in, in the Oregon game that he has a, a couple opportunities. He's gone up against Franklin now, so he knows what to deal with. And, and it, it works both ways. Franklin's seen Mohammed now, so he understands how to go up against him and, and what works against him. So there, it's going to be very interesting, that that chess game within the football game, for sure, on the edges. Because now the X factor that Oregon has that Washington really didn't deal with in that first game is Tez Johnson. And Tez Johnson has, has become a much bigger component of what they're doing right now. So I'm kind of wondering, honestly, 
if would they would they possibly and Scott, I, I'm wondering about your thoughts on this. Would they possibly move Powell outside and move Jabbar in the slot to go up against Tez Johnson? Good against good, it, and have it a wouldn't bigger, it uh, wouldn't surprise me. Powell? I mean. I mean, I mean, uh, Jabbar Muhammad moved into uh, play Husky against USC. Yeah. So yeah. he's done it before. Yeah. So I'm just kind of, if you guys think that that because I think that's a legitimate option. I think Tez Johnson's playing at a level right now where he's as big a factor in their pass game as Franklin is. That's my opinion. Yeah. That kind of uh, if I'm seeing Mish outside, I'm I'm throwing at him. <laughs> I mean, I'm going right after him. So okay, but I mean, would you would you then put like Elijah Jackson on on Franklin? I mean, you can you can go it either way. You're going to pick your poison, guys. This is how good Oregon is. You got to figure out how to do it. Yeah, and they can throw Dixon in there as well, who's a little bit bigger defensive back as well. Yep, they can go that route too. Yeah, uh, and another guy on defense who's really stepped up, and uh, boy, he, he's going to get some votes for an all-conference guy is uh, Carson Bruner. We were mentioning so many times during the beginning of the season when we would look at the defensive stat sheets, we weren't seeing guys with double-digit tackles. We'd see guys, you know, five guys with six and a bunch of guys with five and four. But the past couple of weeks, Carson Bruner has really he's jumped out of the stat sheet. Yeah, he's been great. No, There's no, no yeah. doubt about it. And I think it's been kind of an ongoing theme the last couple of years. I know, Scott, you've seen it as well where – you know, and we saw it with the breakout game a couple of years ago when he played so well at Stanford. And everyone's like, oh, this is this is his breakout game. He's going to be a star from now on. He's going to be the next Ben Burkirvan, whatever you want to say about Carson. And then it just he played here and there. And it seemed like he always seemed to play well when he was in. But he just never seemed to be able to jump in front of the guys at that time, whether it was an Eddie Ulafogio, whether it was a Cam Bright. Uh, now with Alfonso Tupatala, it's just what does it take for Carson Bruner to get in front of those guys? It's just it's been kind of an ongoing mystery. It's tough to say outside of the locker room and the film rooms what exactly they're seeing and in terms of trust and everything else that in the other guys that they're not necessarily seeing in Carson Bruner because we've seen it not just as a linebacker, Kim, too, but also on special teams. He is he's just the last last two years. He's been a beast. So. It's a great question, and I don't know the answer to it. I I just assume that he's going to play a lot tonight for sure because of Alfonso not necessarily being 100% coming back. But at the same time, he's just on a roll, and I think at this point the coaches have to be able to trust him, right? Well, well, Coach Coach Inge did a good job of explaining why Carson Bruner isn't starting right now, and well, I shouldn't say he did a good job. He explained it on Monday. He was asked, you know, is Carson Bruner in line to start seeing more reps and and get into that starting unit? And he goes, no, not really, because we if you see the way we substitute guys and the way we rotate guys, the the best players play. And he had more reps than anybody on the uh, in from the linebacker group, even though he didn't start the game. And that, and that is true. He had 50, 50 snaps. Compared to 43 for Ulafosio and 37 for Tupatala. Yeah, so so I mean the way the way William Inge looks like at it is he's like he's getting more reps than anybody else. Does it really matter that he's not out there on the first with the first unit, you know, on the on the first series? Does it really matter? I guess ultimately it just depends on whether or not some guys thrive as starters or whether guys are just gonna they're ready to play. It doesn't matter what snap it is, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think I think Bruner has shown that he's been consistent over time 
whether he's been asked to come in and play a ton of snaps or whether he's just been asked to come in for a few series. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Moving over to the other side of the ball, the big topic for discussion, of course, is going to be Michael Penix. Is he hurt? Is he not hurt? Is he off? Is he slid back? What's the deal with Michael Penix? And he was flat out asked on, uh, I think it was Tuesday, if he was healthy, if he was playing hurt. And he just said he's all right. And he gets a little surly when he's asked about it. Yeah, he does. He certainly does. He doesn't like that question. And I think even if he did like the question, he was he isn't going to answer it because why would he tell Oregon? You know, why would he tell anybody that, hey, I'm, I'm you know, I'm feeling it a little bit, but, you know, I'm going to go out there and play because, you know, that's what I do. And I'm, I'm here for my team and stuff. I unless his left arm has been chopped off or is dangling and can't be lifted, he is playing in this game. So. Uh, you know, I mean, all the questions about his health. Yeah, he's got some questions, I think, about his overall health. Uh, and, you know, he's definitely not going to be – he's not 100%. Very few football players are 100% this time of the year, though. So, you know, I I don't know. I mean, he's got – Scott, Scott I have a question. Scott, I have a question, though. If, if if you know, I grant it, I, I agree 100% that their players aren't 100% right now. In fact, nobody is 100% mm-hmm. right now if you've played all year. That being said, when we talk about Penix and the velocity and he's throwing fastballs all the time, everyone thinks that his ribs got hurt against Oregon. And maybe they did, maybe they didn't. I don't know. Wouldn't that have affected his not only his throwing motion, but the velocity on his passes? Because I haven't seen a drop-off in velocity at all from Penix. Yeah, I haven't seen that either. Um, you know, I, I I don't know. I don't know what to tell you on, on, that, that, on, on that front. I just... The guy isn't right, and I don't think he automatically become becomes un, unconfident in himself. You know, I I think and 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 in his decision making and things like that. I I I would be I'm very skeptical of him um, being a guy who who just hasn't um, you know has lost confidence. He he doesn't seem like that guy to me. And if you watch him against Oregon State, if you had lost confidence, do you make that last throw to Odunze? You know, oh, yeah. 
I, I, mean, I think under pressure, he's as good as there are out there. But I think one of the things, guys, that 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 ASU showed, for instance, and I think Washington State showed it a little bit too. And again, you know, I think they they've talked a little bit about the in-game sign stealing stuff with Washington State, which mm-hmm. again, we're not going into Connor Stallions territory, guys. This is legit. This happens all the time. It's totally legal. I think they they feel Washington State got a hold of they got to figure out on their signs. They they figured it out. And I think that allowed them in the second half to really push up the middle, much like Arizona State did. I'm wondering tonight if Oregon's going to take a play out of that and try to really push up front and and really try to put a lot of bodies right in front of Michael Penix's face to see how oh. he reacts to that. Because I I think I don't know if any quarterback in the country really works very well in those types of situations. And does Ryan Grubb have a counter for that? Yeah. Well, the other thing with Penix, too, that I've noticed over the past three, four weeks is those downfield passes. It looks like teams, you know, got the scouting report and are definitely trying to take away those downfield throws. And I've noticed Michael throwing into double coverage a lot more when the plays just weren't there. And we saw some of that against Washington State with that one out to Rome out on the sideline, which, boy, that came close to being picked. And then the other throw where he threw it in the end zone and there was three defenders right there. And that one was lucky not to get picked. But I've noticed Michael throwing into traffic quite a bit more and taking a lot more risks where he didn't do that as much in the season. And I don't know if it's Michael throwing into the traffic or the guy's just not getting open. Well, my my theory on it is, and I agree with Scott a hundred percent that Michael Penix isn't going to lose confidence. He's, he is a confident player and he will play with confidence. Even if he's throwing two or three picks in a game, you know, he made that pick early in the Oregon game and came back and still threw, you know, he threw four touchdowns on the day. It's going to happen sometimes. What I do think though, is that I believe over the course of the year, Teams have not so much figured out what Washington's trying to do with their pass game, but I think they've thrown enough kind of mud into the pictures, so to speak, to just just make Michael Penix second guess just that split second. And that's all it takes, guys, with the game this fast. All it takes is a split second for him to second guess. Oh, okay, I missed that window. Oh, I missed that window. Okay, now I'm going to get sacked. Um, It can happen that quickly. And that's why they always talk about the clock in the head type of thing for the quarterbacks. They've got to get the ball out or they're going to be in trouble. That kind of stuff is happening more and more with Michael Penix. And I think it is, it has to do more with the defenses adjusting. And then now Washington needs to find their counters to those counters. And this is where I think Jalen McMillan not being available has really, really hurt like Michael Penix in terms of like accuracy just finding those little drop downs, finding those little quick plays that have allowed him to be able to keep the chains moving and things like that. Scott, where do you, if you're Ryan Grubb, what part of this Oregon defense do you attack? Secondary. I, I, I think their I think their defense is pretty stout up front and they have really active linebackers and things like that. But I think he can make plays against the secondary. And I know they've got some talented guys in that secondary and everything like that. So it isn't like this is going to be a cakewalk or anything, but I think if you're going to make plays, it's against the secretary, secondary. And, and realistically, this is, you know, when Washington's offense is on the on the field, their strength is passing the ball, and Oregon's is, in my opinion, from what I've watched, defending the pass. And that is definitely a matchup that Washington is going to have to take advantage of and make plays on. They're going to have Giles Jackson. They're going to have Jalen McMillan. 
Jalen Polk has supposedly had his, you know, his best week of practice in the last couple weeks. Romo Dunze is, uh, you know, one of the top wide receivers in the country. I think Jack Westover, Devin Culp, you're going to see a few passes thrown to those guys. Maybe sneak Josh Cuevas out into the route, um, let him get a big play down the field, like maybe against it, like they did against Arizona, uh, you know, late in that game when he gets a, what, 45-yard, 50-yard pass, whatever it was, uh, for a touchdown. So, you know, I mean, Washington needs to be able to throw the ball to uh today and and they really need to um the the thing is Michael Penix is I don't think he's a realistic favorite to be the Heisman I think he's going to be a finalist I'll think I think he'll end up in New York but from a realistic standpoint I don't think he's in the conversation I think it's Bo Nix and Jaden Daniels and if that's the case maybe they don't maybe the pressure is off Michael Penix a little bit more maybe plays a little bit looser I know that they'll that they keep saying we're one and oh one and oh we don't care about this we don't care about that I'm sorry I I really think the pressure was starting to build on on these guys especially Michael Penix because of all the stuff that was out there 12 and 0 first time that Washington's been able to be 12 and 0 since 1991 first 12 and 0 packet pack 12 team first uh you know team to go undefeated all through conference play um, since, you know, the Pac-12 had been formed, all those different things, going to the college football playoff, getting to the Pac-12 championship, all those things were heaped upon his shoulders because everybody looked to Michael, Michael, uh, Penix as the leader of this team and the, and the top player on the team. And he is, and I think all that pressure has weighed on him. And I think that's one of the things that you saw in that game against Washington State when, when Washington was getting ready to kick, Grady Gross was getting ready to kick and they show and everybody thinks he's throwing up. I know for a fact he is not throwing up in that. But, you know, he, all the pressure that he was under, I think, has has culminated on him. And maybe now he can play a little bit freer because they've gotten to the championship game. And now he can play a little bit freer because he knows, hey, the way that I win is by playing loose and and uh, and playing confident. Chris, would it surprise you? When we look at the stat sheet at the end of the game tonight, that Michael Penix had thrown the ball 50 plus times. Oh, not at all. No, not at all. Not in the slightest. And I think some of that obviously is Ryan Grubb trying to manufacture some run game if Dylan Johnson isn't 100% and isn't going to be able to give them maybe the same type of juice that he was able to give them against Oregon the first time. But then also, you know, Scott talked about the secondary and that that might be the place where you go after them. I don't know if people remember this, but the the catch from Penix to Roma Dunze to give Washington the lead in their last game against Oregon was against a backup. Mm -hmm. He wasn't going up against a number one guy. And Jalil Florence right now, all the Oregon guys I'm talking to, I, I did a thing with Eric Scopel from Duck Territory this week. And he, they don't sound confident at all that Jalil Florence is going to be available. He's a key component. And one of those main guys that's back there with Jackson. And, and it's just if, if they have to kind of piecemeal it together a little bit, kind of like how Washington's had to piecemeal their thing with the safeties, for instance, then it could get interesting because it, it doesn't have anything, anything to do with the athleticism or the physicality or that stuff. It has to do with communication. It has to do with understanding the playbook, understanding the game plan. And, be, and, and you might have a bus and all it takes is a little bit of a bus. We saw it against Washington State, Roma Dunze, boom, touchdown. You know, it's a, a bust or a little slip or something like that, and all of a sudden it's, it's it's score. And that's all it takes. It's all it takes with this Washington unit. And I think Scott made up another really good point. They're as healthy as they've been in a very long time when you talk about the whole package of Odunze, McMillan, 
Polk, Jeremy Bernard, Giles Jackson. Bottom line is, again, I think that the thing with J-Mac can't, cannot be overstated in terms of how important he is to this offense and what he's been able to bring. Because when we try to dissect and diagnose what is wrong with Michael Penix, I think a lot of it is he's had to rely on Roma Dunzi almost for everything. I mean, Jack Westover's done some phenomenal things. You can't discount that. But other than that, has there really been a guy that's been a focal point in these last three or four games besides Roma Dunze? I don't. There really hasn't been. No, it's going, going to be an interesting night uh, tonight as well. Sold out stadium down in Las Vegas and uh, expecting a wild ball game tonight. Just before we uh, head out, a couple more topics. I want to touch bases with coaching carousel um, has started with um, Jonathan Smith going to Michigan State. Trent Bray being announced the head coach at Oregon State. Um, I got a call this morning. Um, sounds like uh, Ryan Grubb, his name has been mentioned for the Duke job. And I told the guy his name's going to get mentioned for every job. But I, I think that, you know, we're going to start the coaching carousel. And once the head coaches start, then the assistants usually follow. So um, it's definitely going to be something to keep an eye on. You hearing anything of note, uh, Scott? No, nothing. No, you guys are more clued in on that stuff. I do the recruiting side, so I don't I don't hear as much as you do. Most of the stuff I hear is stuff you and Chris get. So, yeah, Chris, you hearing anything of, of no, 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 very quiet on the you know, while the championship weekend is going on, I think most schools are going to try to respect, you know, those that are still playing. But at the same time. There's a reason Ryan Grubb has an agent, right? I mean, and he's doing his job. I and mean, Jonathan Smith famously said, you know, that my agent better be figuring out where the best jobs are because that's what I pay him to do. Yeah. So those guys are out there doing their due diligence and they're out there putting feelers. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if Ryan Grubb is getting a lot of attention at some of these schools. Duke would be a phenomenal opportunity because honestly, beforehand, We'd all been thinking about, you know, would San Diego State be a good good place for him to land? Um, you know, some of these, you know, UTEP, for instance, you know, there's some of these openings that are available in the Mountain West and that kind of group of five territory that seems like it would be a great fit for a first time head coach. But Duke, holy moly. I mean, you know, Elko, Mike Elko was a great assistant, great coordinator. He went on to there and did big things. And now he's going to be at Texas A&M. So Who's who's to say that it can't work out for a, for a great assistant coach like Ryan Grubb? Well, one thing that I do need to mention is uh, Jamarcus Shepard has been mentioned as the possible um, new wide receiver coach at Notre Dame. And, um, uh, you know, I I talked to him on Wednesday and he basically said, hey, I love it here. I love it. You know, the, this has been the best uh, decision that I've made is to come to the University of Washington. I I love all the people that surround this program. Love Coach DeBoer, love Coach Grubb. And he said, I'd leave. I, I'd, I'd have to talk about everybody in the program because I just love everybody here. And he doesn't sound like a guy who's looking to leave. Now, that could all be just, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not ready to say anything, so I'm not going to say anything. But um, we did ask him that, and that's what he said. And uh, I I would have to believe that if he was going to move over to Notre Dame, and is he a Midwest guy? I know that he kind of grew up out there, right? Yeah. 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 He's a Midwest guy. So that wouldn't surprise me that Notre Dame would be a, a job that he would covet. But he's a wide receiver coach. And um, is he a, like a pass game coordinator or, or does he have any other title? I can't remember out here. 
Good question. Yeah, I, don't but, I don't remember that. But, I, but I, he's going to be a Big Twelve. He's going to be a Big Ten. Going to be a Big Ten coach. So yeah. So yeah, that. exactly. But the the thing is though, um, I mean, I, I I don't see him taking a lateral move. If he moves over to to Notre Dame, he's if he isn't the pass game coordinator here, he's going to have to get that title back there. And, and just really, and just and just to update, he is. I mean, I was able to look it up. He's not only the the wide receivers coach and passing game coordinator; he's also an associate head coach. Yeah. So, I I have a hard time believing that Notre Dame is going to be able to give him something better than that from a title standpoint. And I just don't think his next move is as an OC somewhere. Yes, that's and, the and, old, that's the only yeah. way you move up from there. Yeah, and I I don't. I just uh, maybe it's me being naive, you know. Maybe Notre Dame throws, you know, one point five million dollars to him. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what what is he making here about six fifty, seven hundred, something like that. Yeah, but but again, he would have to be he would have to be their offensive coordinator, Scott. Yeah, I think that's I, the only way that works. That makes no sense to me for him to be the guy that would be the offensive coordinator. So oh, I'm yeah, sorry, just, that would be the wide receiver. Yeah, just know that when you go twelve and zero. You're going to have some coaching turnover. There's going to be yeah. all the programs are going to want to talk to everybody on this coaching staff. Mm-hmm. They're going to want to talk to Scott Huff, Jamarcus Shepard, um, Nick well, Sheridan. Well, Jim- okay. In, in okay, Brechterfield has been rumored to be one of the guys that Oregon State's going to look at for their D-line coach or their D.C. Yeah, so, yeah, so there's – Scott, what's the over-under? I, I think we'll see two coaching uh, changes. Yeah, I – I could see that. I could see that being the move, maybe even a third if, if uh, you know, th- there's two guys on the staff who want to be OCs, and that's uh, Jamarcus Shepard and Nick Sheridan. And I think if Ryan Grubb leaves and uh, Kalen DeBoer promotes one, then I think the other one leaves. If he doesn't promote one, but maybe makes one a co-offensive coordinator and brings in another guy, maybe like a Kirby Moore, or someone like that, I could see one of those guys leaving as well. So um, lots of things that are going to – it's going to be a real merry-go-round. So those are two guys who I could definitely see leaving, not necessarily both of them, but depending on what happens with the coaching situation. And then um, on the defensive side, I could see Brechterfield leaving if Oregon State gives him a little bit better – um, title and and allows him to to maybe not make more than he's making now, but maybe a different lifestyle and maybe different amount of pressure <laughs> than what he's going to get playing uh, being a coach at the University of Washington. Um, I don't see William Inge. I don't see Chuck Morrell leaving. Um, I could see um, uh, Juice Brown leaving because he is the one assistant coach that was on a one year contract this year. So unless he gets re-upped. There will be a new cornerback slash secondary coach. So, you know, I could see two or three guys leaving from, you know, I think the over-under, like you said, Kim, is about two. And, guys, I, real quick, I think this is a good time to remind Washington fans that, you know, they hear about all the outgoings and they're like, uh-oh, that's bad. Well, when you're 12-0 and 0 and you're, you've got the offense and, and you've got the people here and the culture and the way that these things spread throughout the coaching community – they're going to be able to find really, really good guys to come up. And that's the part of the thing is that when you get guys promoted and you you see guys move up to bigger and better, like if a Ryan Grubb becomes a head coach somewhere, that's going to that's going to signal to other guys throughout the country that are looking at Washington going, hey, there's upward mobility. I can go up the ladder and I can achieve what I want to achieve. And if it's not at Washington, they're going to set me up for where I can go and get it done. So that's an important thing to remember, too. 
Yeah, I also kind of get kind of a gut feeling that at some point next week or very shortly after, I think we're going to uh, see uh, Washington lock up Kalen DeBoer. If I had to go an over under on what his salary will be, <clears throat> I'd say just a little over nine. And then in addition, upgrading the assistant uh, pool, as well as when we talk about the NIL collectives, I think that there will be meetings with the um, like Montlake Futures to ensure that the money's there to get done what they need to. But I think that's going to get done, you know, maybe next week or probably within the next 10 days um, is what everything's beginning to sound like uh, for me. Is that kind of what you're thinking as well, Chris? Oh, yeah. And I think it ties in right in with the portal opening on Monday and and all of those things happening and all the grad transfers and everybody else, you know, guys from the Ivy League and stuff already announcing going into the portal, already hearing names like, you know, DJ Uyangalale is already in the portal. And, you know, even hearing former Huskies like Demario King, Cooper McDonald's back in the portal. You know, there's all sorts of guys that are going to be coming out of the woodwork. And so it's going to be a fascinating time this next couple of weeks right before signing day, because it's you, not only do you have to have the in-home visits with your high school kids to lock them up, to make sure they feel good and secure about their futures at Washington, but now you're playing the portal game and you've got your general, your new general manager, Courtney Morgan, taking care of the, taking care of the portal guys and making sure that they get the right fits for what they want to do in 2024. So it's going to be kind of hell on wheels. And I know, Scott, you're going to be you're, you're going to be eating, sleeping and breathing the portal and, and recruiting here pretty soon. Scott, give us an update on recruiting. Anything of note? Yeah, there's not really anything going on right now because the focus is solely on the Pac-12 title. Um, teams that aren't in title games are having official visits this weekend. So it does. I don't want to say it puts Washington behind the, the eight ball a little bit, but they're just not able to bring in uh, official visitors this weekend unless they do it on a Saturday, Saturday through Monday. Um, and I just don't see that happen. And I think Washington's going to take uh, this weekend just to either lick their wounds following tonight's game or celebrate and, and take a deep breath. Uh, we still have to find out on Sunday where they're going to be playing, whether that's in the college football playoff, whether that's in a New Year's Six Bowl. I think even if Washington loses, they're in a New Year's Six Bowl no matter what. But And there will be, and there will be guys, there will be a press conference yeah. on Sunday with DeBoer, regardless of what happens tonight. Win, lose, whatever. Yeah. They're, they're, there's going to be news. They're going somewhere. And so the press is going to get a chance to talk to DeBoer about that. Yep, exactly. So, and it depends on if, if it's a college football playoff, it'll be at 10 o'clock. And if it's a, um, bowl, just a regular bowl game, it'll probably be 11, 30, 12 o'clock, somewhere around there. Anyway, that being all said, um, I think you'll see Washington bring in official visitors, uh, next weekend and um, probably the weekend after that. I need to look if that's uh, available for official visits. I think it is because the signing day is mid mid year signing day is uh, December 20th and you can sign for three days as a high schooler in that time. So the 20th, 21st, 22nd, and then it's a dead period all the way until mid January, I think um, when they can start hosting kids again and, and getting out on the road and seeing kids um you know, doing in-home visits and things like that. So um, it's going to be busy. You know, I talked to DeBoer real quick off to the side. He wasn't available for stuff, but I talked to him off to the side for a second. And he's just like, he goes, yeah, as soon as we get done with uh, the championship game and get our bowl assignment, then I'm out on the road. 
<laughs> so it never ends for these guys. These these coaches are just on such a grind. So you can understand why they might decide to take July off because it just never ends for these guys. But yeah, um, also- as as far as recruiting, real quick, and the portal opens uh, officially on is it on Monday? I think yeah. it is on Monday the fourth. And um, you know, there's a lot of players announcing they're going into the portal so that they can. Uh, you know, at least let people know that, hey, my name's out there. There's some very intriguing guys. It sounds like Washington is already going to be a very strong player for to- Tobias Merriweather, the wide receiver from Notre Dame who came out of Union High School down there in Vancouver. Um, he's a guy that Washington, um, I, I think Jamarcus Shepard recruited him when he was at Purdue. So um, he knows this staff, and it sounds like he uh, d- isn't, staying at Notre Dame because he's got his name in the portal. And it sounds like Washington's going to be a major player there. Washington has made offers to a couple other guys. Um, there's a wide receiver out of Tufts, which is a D3 school. He's got a walk-on offer from the University of Washington. So uh, just a just a couple guys just to keep uh, – his name is Jaden Robinson – or Richardson. Sorry, Jaden Richardson. So, um, you know, lots of, lots of stuff going on on the recruiting front. It, it never stops. Yeah, one other thing, uh, Courtney Morgan, the main recruiting guy, got an elevated title. Now he's general manager. So uh, I'll see Courtney a little bit later today, and I'm going to ask him, you know, general managers make trades. Can you make trades? So um, big news for Courtney Morgan, Scott. Yeah, yeah, it's a big, big thing. And uh, now they got to go find a recruiting coordinator that's going to uh, report to Courtney. So um, it'll be real interesting to see how where they decide to go with that who fills that role if they can find somebody who's maybe an up and coming guy. I'm wondering if a guy like Robbie Proano, who's currently on staff would end up being that guy um, that they would promote and then bring somebody in who was, who played Robbie Proano's uh, role, which was basically he's the one who gathered all the guys and, you know, when they were on campus and got them all together, he was the guy on the sideline, making sure all the recruits, uh, knew where to be and, 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 you know, who to see and who to talk to and things like that. So um, be real, real interesting to see which way they decide to go with that. Basketball. Don't let forget about basketball. Washington on Saturday night plays Colorado State, who on Wednesday night, Colorado State defeated Colorado, who's a really good team. So uh, Washington goes into the MGM and they play Colorado State on Saturday night. So for those who are going to be staying for a couple of days in Vegas, Hit the Colorado State-Washington game. It'll be a fun game to go to. So um, let's go ahead and get this wrapped up, guys. Chris Fetters, wrap it up. Yeah, I just think it's going to be a phenomenal game tonight. I think I, I expect a lot of the same things we saw in the first game at Husky Stadium in terms of both teams kind of throwing haymakers and both defenses trying to absorb punches and, and, and getting back and trying to get some three and outs when they can. I think Washington's defense has improved a lot, especially the last couple weeks. So I think they're going to show some things a little bit defensively for this Oregon offense. And then Oregon, again, with Tez Johnson emerging, is a is a threat. And that's going to be something different that Washington's going to have to deal with as well. So I just think that, you know, because the last game, I think Oregon ran something like 84, 85 plays. They can't – Washington cannot allow them to dictate the clock and to dictate the offense that way. They've got to be able to get off the field somehow, some way, some three and outs. And then if this game can get into the fourth quarter and it's a seven-point game or a three-point game, that's when you get into Washington's wheelhouse. This is where they've been the last half of the year. They've played these games in that deep water. 
can Oregon follow them into that water and survive? That's the key because they haven't had to. Um, my initial thought is, is that they probably can because they have a lot of those weapons and Bo Nix has done a great job as a facilitator and has that run option as well. But when it comes down to it, they haven't had to prove themselves in that way, whereas Washington has had to do it time and time and time and time again. So I think if this becomes a fourth quarter game, that final 15 minutes, it should be something to watch, guys. It should be something to watch, and it's going to be pretty incredible. But either way, 12-0 and going into the season. I think Tony Castrogone said it uh, earlier on Twitter this week that no matter what happens tonight, Washington still will have beaten every single team on their schedule, and not many teams can say that. Scott Eklund, wrap it up. Well, you know, not not much more I can say than what Chris said. You know, Washington needs to limit the amount of plays that Oregon gets. Uh, Washington needs to play their best game of the season, in my opinion, in order to get this win. You know, Oregon is humming on all cylinders. Um, they haven't played the toughest schedule in the world, but neither has Washington. You know, I mean, Washington has had a pretty, pretty decent schedule to, to face off with, but for the most part, you know, Oregon has just blown everybody out and are they going to be able, uh, other than the game with Washington, the one close game, the one they lost, every other game has been a blowout basically by Oregon. So Washington needs to, uh, you know, at least take the early um deluge that Oregon's going to put them under. I think Oregon's going to try and start off fast. I think War- Oregon would like to get out to a 10 nothing, 14 nothing lead on Washington and put the pressure on Washington. Luckily, Washington's built to be able to come back because of their offense and what they're able to do, but um I think Washington needs to keep this game within, you know, one score reach for much of the game and I think if it comes down to, you know, three, four, seven points at the end of the game. I like Washington's chances much better than I do Oregon's at that point. Looking forward to tonight's game, 12-0, and something we may not see for a long, long time, if ever again. But uh, it's just been a wild, crazy year. And, you know, you guys, we've been doing this long enough where we get into the football season and it's just kind of a grind, but it's a scheduled grind. We know what's in front of us. And starting on Monday, I call it whack-a-mole because we're not on so much of a schedule and – we're just dealing with stuff that's popping up all the time, you know, with uh, the coaching carousel going around with recruiting, the transfer portal, you know, possible coaching changes. It's just going to be crazy. But like I said, we're not on a schedule. Things are just going to pop up. So it's always keeping our head on a swivel and the hammer in the hand to, you know, hit that mole when he pops up. So, um, you know, tonight's game, just looking forward to this getting done Sunday. We'll get a bowl game announcement, whether it's a college football playoff or uh, a bowl game. So that's coming up Sunday basketball ball full tilt they start getting into the meat of the season coming up here pretty quick so hopefully we'll see paul mulcahy back in the lineup tomorrow night because he just seems to be a difference maker out there with the basketball team so yeah and kim likely i just to throw a little tease out there and not not to put a damper on things because i know we want to keep this light and positive but if for some reason washington doesn't win tonight what i'm hearing is that when Sunday's announcements come out that they've already kind of figured out the permutations, I'm hearing that it's probably going to be Fiesta Bowl. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be. Yeah, I'd be shocked if it's anything other than that. So I think it's going to be either the Rose Bowl or Fiesta Bowl, one of the two. So. And Rose Bowl would be for the college football playoffs. For all of us at dogman.com, it's going to be another late night for us. 
five o'clock start better than seven o'clock start but uh gonna be another long day for us here at dogman.com so for all of us at dogman.com i'm kim grenolds along with chris fetters and scott eckland go dogs this is tony kornheiser show i'm tony we expected someone else so what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> 9 over 8. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.